Support for CJSW's podcasts comes from listeners just like you. Visit cjsw.com slash donate and join thousands of people who help make independent campus and community radio a reality for the city of Calgary and beyond. CJSW 90.9 FM, broadcast in bloom. CJSW 90.9 FM and CMRU Radio in Calgary. I'm Buxaganaki, Grace Heavy Runner, and welcome to Indigenization Across the Nation. Before I begin, I would like to acknowledge the land we stand on. This is Treaty 7 territory, which includes Ghana, Siksika, Bigani Nation, Tutina, Stony Nakoda, including Chiniki, Bearspaw, and Wesley First Nations. Our land is also home to our Métis brothers and sisters. Hey, why do they bury natives 12 feet underground? Why? Because deep down, they're good people. There was a lot of tears and there was a lot of anger and there was a lot of, well, it wasn't a good placement. It, it, it was not a good placement at all. There was a lot of abuse that happened within that home. Of course, I was, I was kind of shocked and sad that, you know, a person could die this way in, a, in a, an institution like that. And then when they revealed how long he had waited. Kachuk got you. Okay, introducing Nisitapi writer and director Anatsi Bita. Colin Van Loon's creative work called This Is Not a Ceremony. So Oki, the student of Tanako Anatsi Bita, in English, Colin Van Loon. Originally from uh, Pitani Nation, living in Vancouver for a long time, but now living in West Bank. So this ceremony is really, um, uh, has two stories. It has uh, the story of um, Adam Northpigan, um, who's my relative, and the story of Robert Sinclair, and we, and we tell that with his relative. Um, you know, Robert Sinclair was a man who um, you know, goes to the hospital in Winnipeg and eventually um, passes away in the waiting room after 34 hours. Adam's story, you know, he's a 60-scoop survivor. Um, as a child, he was in a, a kind of a very abusive placement. And um, instead of, you know, removing him and taking him somewhere that would be safer, uh, you know, the, at that time they, they took him and they put him with the son and, and by, you know, basically uh, walked him across the yard, the farmyard um, to the son's house. So, you know, he was kind of potentially not moved to a safe environment, but a more dangerous environment, maybe. And, um, you know, we tell these stories uh, direct to viewer uh, in, in VR. We also have some poets. Um, who are asking uh, people who are watching 
to become a witness and um, uh, as they witness these stories with you, they, they tell you how they feel about them. And um, what drove you, motivated you to do this film? Um, you know, the story, uh, Brian Sinclair's story has always bothered me. Um, you know, that could have been any of my relatives, you know. And um, I was I was working for, uh, it's called the Talking Stick Festival. Um, and we, we, we were thinking about bringing in some, some VR and, and doing that. Um, but then this opportunity through Imaginative, so I, so I started watching um, a lot of VR. And this opportunity came through Imaginative to do a pitch. Um, and I said, you know, uh, if, if I was going to tell Brian's story as a, as a documentary filmmaker, I think that VR would be a very powerful way to do that because it would bring you closer to him so you could know him better and his story so that um, you might feel more connected to that story. And, and I thought that if people felt more connected, then they would be better em empowered to uh, make changes, you know, in their lives or, um, you know, in their communities. Um, and so as we, were do, as we were doing development to you know, begin telling that story, uh, I had dinner with Adam because his daughter w went to school in Vancouver. And so he was coming out and, and you know, we were chatting and, and he told me more about his story. You know, I didn't know this part about the farm. And, um, you know, he's a very polished speaker because he does a lot of uh, advocacy work, you know, with um, the Legacy of Hope Foundation and the 60 Scoop Society of Alberta. And so I said, well, do you want to tell the, your story as well? What were the challenges that you came across during this film? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's challenging to tell the story in VR, um, just logistically, you know, it's hard, uh, you know, look, we have a camera, we point our camera in one direction and, uh, you know, we can hide all of the stuff we don't want people to see behind the camera, um, but, you know, with VR, there's no place really to hide, um, so everything has to be, uh, Everything has to be done in such a way that, you know, the only thing, the only place you could put stuff you don't want people to see is underneath of the camera. And I think actually there's some pictures from when we shot in Brockett that, you know, people had just taken at the power that year. You could see our cameraman is hiding underneath of the camera, like, uh, you know, in the middle of the arbor. So, you know, it's just like learning to tell a story in VR is difficult. But also, you know, there were some real challenges, I think. Um, after we had finished filmmaking, you know, finished the sort of film itself, uh, we're in post-production. Um, you know, we lost uh, Taryn Cudneo and we lost uh, and we lost Lillian Howard. So it was a real challenge to you know to keep uh, to keep on uh, making. But uh, it was really important to me that we would um, show it to their family and. and um, sort of have their uh, 
their consent and buy-in, and uh, and they were really happy that you know to to continue telling the story. You know? And uh, who was your targeted audience? Yeah, I always maintain there's two there's two audiences here. Um, I think that they're they're firstly you know this is made for indigenous people to see uh, Adam and Robert and see like how strong and resilient these men are. Um, also, you know, Taryn and Tawaham are, you know, I don't want to say role models, but they're beautiful poets, you know, like uh, there's something really great about that. And, um, and then finally, you know, uh, non-Indigenous audiences in Canada as a kind of um, a wake-up call or a cold shower so that, you know, they would be better empowered to, to make changes in their community. I think that I always really admired something that Robert had said, you know, he said, you know, I'm fighting for them to recognize Brian and for them to remember Brian at this hospital because that's, that's my community, that's where I have kids and I have grandkids and, and they're going to have to go there, they're going to have to use that. So I thought, you know, like, what he's been doing is, is, is really admirable because uh, somebody's got to do it, right? And how long have you been a filmmaker, Colin? Uh, I got like into the film industry as a as an actor, you know, when I was 16. Um, so I would say like more than half my life now. And and then, um, you know, there was a certain point where I said, uh, "Oh, I, I don't want to be an actor. I actually." The things I thought I wanted from acting, I was getting from filmmaking. Um, so I think I, you know, I, I went back to school and, and uh, I went through the film program at, at Simon Fraser University. And then, um, yeah, ever since I've been hooked, yeah. Um, I, I asked about, about this song and nobody really knows whose song it is. 
But all we know is it was a, it was probably it was an old Blackfoot song from this area. All right, so we're here with um, my cousin Skip Wolfleg. Uh, um, we're we're just sitting along the Bow River, and I wanted to bring Skip in to talk about his him partaking in um, the musical arrangements within the the new play. Ogasi. Ogasi. Ogasu, um, and that's playing at the Pomp House Theater from, it's been playing from September 22nd. 22nd until October 1st. And so you still have time to check it out as it is playing till October 1st. Um, and when, when, when is it um, on during the days? It's on at, um, it'll be on 8 p.m. every night. Um, Tuesday and Thursday we have, um, we have two matinees, but I believe they're for schools. Okay, yeah. yeah, check it out 8 p.m. at the Pump House Theater. Um, this play is um, written and directed by Michelle Thrush. Yes. Yeah, how, how has it been to work with Michelle Thrush? What, what's she like? Uh, I sang for her years ago just for a play, a smaller play. Uh, but uh, now, like I said, she's, uh, she's very, very, has a really awesome vision. She gives us a lot of... Um, um, allows us to um, give our own advice and perspectives on certain scenes, even on the culture itself, the Blackfoot culture. She gives us uh, ah, she gives us a lot of freedom to, to to respond to the scenes and to give our own kind of um, I guess our own advice on the scenes, eh? Especially on the on the language, uh, maybe even on the musical uh, arrangements, and also on just uh, certain aspects of of the culture. And uh, in, and because she has. Her own knowledge on the Powell music and the native, the First Nation music, she actually can tell us. Okay, well, maybe you should sing it this way. Um, just kind of suggestion, or maybe you should drink some, um, I don't know, some lemon tea or something like that, <laughs> just to get your voice going a little bit smoother, right? Cool. So she knows when you're actually struggling and and tries to give you help and try to tell you, okay, well, you know, maybe you should up the ante a little bit on your performance, right? But. Yeah. Oh, cool. So she sounds like a really knowledgeable person. So, <laughs> yeah. what is the um, play all about? Uh, the play it actually centers. It starts every. It actually takes place on the uh, September twenty second, but throughout different time periods. So it kind of time travels. So it starts off at oh. eighteen seventy seven. Okay. The signing of the treaty. And that's September twenty second. Yeah. So sorry, September twenty second. Really. And then it bounces out to uh, about twenty seventy seven. 200 years after. Oh, the signing of the like, treaty. Like, uh, I guess in the future, kind of a time period. Oh, Then it comes what? back to around cool. 2004, then it comes back to 2014. And during these time traveling, um, I guess you could say parts of the play, uh, there's different characters that, that are kind of introduced, talking about them. It centers around um, a lady by the name of Sylvia that existed probably in the 1800s. And she's overseeing her... I guess you could say her grandchildren, they must call them that, um, in a different era sort of thing. And two, two characters, um, a, a, a young man and a young lady, and they're actually going through different kinds of struggles, dealing with, um, I guess you could say, the aftermath of the uh, 1877 the treaty time, and how our world was changing, losing the buffalo. Oh, and, um, and then the, intro, the main, I guess, subject matter is 
the intergenerational trauma that we all went through because of residential school. Mm -hmm. She just she doesn't really harp on the uh, actual issue. She touches on it. She mentions it once, but you kind of get the gist of what these guys, are, these two young uh, individuals, are going through. You know, um, one is dealing with, um, I guess, a loss of, I guess you could say, her father in her life due to. Um, I guess you could say marital marital problems. Oh yeah. And you know, just changing you know, all these two parents that are still trying to learn how to be parents. And the other one is a boy that was was um, taken away from his family when he was five years old, and he was raised by um, a, a non First Nation family. Mm -hmm. And he had to grow up kind of. You know, he's, he's visibly First Nations, but at the same time, he grew up in um, I guess you could say the the Caucasian um, world. Mm -hmm. These Polish. Uh, parents, eh? mm -hmm. so he identifies himself as a Polish person, but yet he's starting to realize as he gets older that he's actually different. He's actually Blackfoot, eh? mm -hmm. and and, it, and it's interesting. I won't go too much more into it because then I'll give some details about other stuff. Yeah, I'd like you to come check out the play, but it it's basically centers around the September twenty second on different time periods, eh? Oh, yeah. so interesting. <laughs> yeah. So then for like the 200 years in the future kind of thing, like what are, are they, are they still talking about intergenerational trauma or what, what are they talking about? At that the, point, I guess the, there's a future process. Um, there's an elder that kind of talks about, he's an old fellow by then, and he's kind of reflecting on how the world changed. Yes. You know, due to like, you know, and he touches on stuff like environmental issues, eh? Oh, that, yeah. That we're, you know, kind of getting warned about today. But he's mm -hmm. actually talking about that. And it's, um, they refer to it as kind of like the collapse, eh? Yeah. Like something that could happen, eh? And he kind of addresses that. And he talks about how the people kind of became too, um, I guess you could say, uh, uh, technology just kind of took over everything sort of thing. And, and um, everybody just kind of lost lost track of each other right mm -hmm. their humanity if you want to say it that way eh? mm -hmm. but it's interesting i don't want to give away too many yeah, details yeah, yeah. but that's kind of what he's talking about he's a guy reflecting on and you don't see it till probably about towards uh maybe about the midpoint eh? okay. and, but it's a really interesting play it um, sounds great yeah and like i said it focuses on issues like that and also i guess the treaty um there's a real a comical part in the play that kind of talks uh, addresses the treaty issue and how you know, I guess you'd say it's telling the, especially the non-First Nations or even other people that do not understand what happened with the treaty on how um, archaic it was and how the uh, the deal, maybe we didn't get a great deal, mm -hmm. deal mm -hmm. out of it, eh? And how um, it's, I guess you'd say, it hasn't really been honored all these years sort of thing, eh? Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. It's kind of like a, a good educational piece also for people that don't know too much about treaty time, intergenerational trauma, and even just on Blackfoot culture. Yeah, cool. I, like that. It sounds like a really important play to go watch. Yes, definitely. And Okasi is actually a word that refers to this time we're in right now, um, the the fall time. Okay. The time when we all meet and we start kind of preparing for our winter, right? Eh? Mm -hmm. Gathering all our food sources, all our resources that we need, tools, all kinds of stuff that we need to sustain us for the for the tough winters out here. Mm -hmm. That's when everybody meets together, right? Eh? And then okay. they discuss. I guess matters at hand before it gets starts to snow, sort of oh, thing. Okay. So that's what it's the Okasi is like the that time period, eh? I'm Spencer Burgess with Indigenization Across the Nation, and I'm here talking to Corthin Bearchief, lead singer of No More Moments, a punk band that's been working hard in Treaty Seven territory and beyond. Hi, Corthin. Hi. 
tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm Corson Bear Chief. I am part Blackfoot and part Sioux. I'm from Six Guy. Well, my father was from Six Guy Nation, and my mother was from Morley. I friend to the punk band called No More Moments, and it's about as interesting as I get. So tell me, who is No More Moments? No More Moments would be me and my friends, uh, Carlin Black Rabbit, Corey White, and Oscar Black. Uh, we're all from Six Guy Nation. We all grew up together, and we just kind of all found each other through all having an interest in music here in Six Guy. I saw you play with Propagandi September 12th. What was that like? It was very surreal, you know, and it was something I never, like, I always believed would happen, but I guess I still have a hard time accepting that it happened. It was great. I mean, the people in Propagandi are very nice people, and it was just very awesome to work with these prestigious acts who are used to this kind of thing, and I've done this for a while, and be working with those kind of people you know it just felt legit yeah i was up there front and center just thinking like it made so much sense to be seeing you guys up there doing what you do after all the work that you guys have been putting in for years and years and before the propaganda show was moments fest no more moments puts on moments fest right and you've been doing that for a number of years can you tell me a little bit about the last festival so yeah the big brain behind no more moments is carlin that's our drummer. And we get a lot of bands to come out here to our reserve in Six Gun Nation, which is east of Calgary. Uh, we've started having at the Arbor now. Uh, we encourage people to come if they want to camp, to go ahead and camp. It's an all-ages event, so you can bring any age your kids. We had Cousins Skateboard come and bring their own skateboard ramps and poles and everything like that. And they brought some skateboards there as well. If you didn't have your own, they'd provide for you. And you're allowed to skateboard there. We had bands there, you know, food truck and everything like that. Moments Fest is very unique. It's a very intimate festival. I believe in a way it promotes unity as well because we have people outside our reserve, inviting them into our reserve and coming here to our home and, you know, uh, celebrating what we all enjoy and that's music, you know. And with, you know, all the ugliness in the world, it's good to have a breath of fresh air to see that kind of unity within our community, you know, because it wasn't there as early as, you know, 10 years ago. So it's good to see that. I feel like we're breaking down barriers and we're creating some awesome connections between the communities that surround our reserve. And it's just always a pleasure to have to invite these people who are willing to come to our home and perform for our people and it's a good way for our people to see even the younger ones who know nothing but the res you know who have that reservation mentality you know it's good for them to see that there's people outside of the res who care about them and hopefully gives them a little shine of hope that the world isn't as dark as we think it is or as you know media portrays it to be it's a wonderful experience, and it really seemed to me to pick up some speed this year. Do you think that's accurate? Yeah, no, I think this year was definitely our biggest, because of the success of it this year, a lot of people, you know, will be 
more drawn to it next year because it gets bigger every year without a doubt though this year is definitely our most successful year so you've got moments fest propaganda you've got uh, massive fest coming up in uh, in nelson bc you've got all these big shows hot off the heels of your latest release the quarter life crisis ep that came out earlier this year can you tell me a little bit about the ep yeah we recorded it last year and our label curse blessings helped us with a lot of it actually we worked with some amazing people to get it done but quarter life crisis was definitely our most uh it definitely felt like an album because of the work we put into it i think it's our most uh ruthless punk album our most hardcore punk album it's definitely a little more on the angry side which is why we went with the name quarter life crisis for it but it came out great and i'm glad everyone's enjoying it so i remember it was years ago now that we interviewed for the documentary that premiered at Calgary Underground Film Fest. But I remember you saying something to the effect of like, with No More Moments and the lyrics and No More Moments, you're really going for like a kind of a feel-good party atmosphere. So can you tell me a little bit about the shift? Yeah, for sure. I think um, back when we did that interview, um, I was definitely at a younger, less mature mindset where I was just happy to be making music. And I didn't really feel, or I should say, I didn't really pay attention to what was going on around me growing up you know with a hard life i was still in survival mode my early years so when i was writing lyrics and everything like that that's the kind of mindset i was in you know was just have a good time and screw the rest of the world but as i started to get older and i started talking to people i started really opening my eyes to things around me and i started to realize not everyone's okay everyone's going through something and that was such an eye-opening thing for me. So I thought that, okay, so I'm in a position where people actually listen to my music and read my lyrics now. I feel like I could say something to make these people know that not everyone's okay. Not everyone's perfect. We're all going through shit. And who gives a care if you mess up? You know, what matters is you never give up. And we all have our crap that we battle through. So I had some things that I want to say to the crowd that I felt was listening. So when I realized that I could do something with the momentum of this band, it gave me something to write about. So that's pretty much where my shift came from. Thanks very much for sharing that. Speaking of momentum, what's No More Moments got on the docket? What can you share with me about your plans going forward? What can I share? <laughs> um, well, we're still working hard. We got some songs coming at the crowd. I can't really give a release date as of now because we have nothing set in stone, but it's going to be the first album we wrote without our, you know, without Brandon. And Brandon has been such a key moment member. So it's going to be a little different, you know? So I want everyone to kind of build that anticipation to like oh what's it going to sound like because i'm excited i'm absolutely so excited to show you guys we got some big shows coming up but that's pretty much all i could talk about right now <laughs> um until everything is you know set in stone then be announced on our page but i'm really excited for the future of it and i know as long as we keep doing what we're doing we'll get to where we want to be someday and keep enjoying our ride there. 
to pipe When my cup of juicy sealed the deal yeah! Across the Nation is produced by Grace Heavy Runner with Hannah Manyguns and Spencer Burgess with original theme music by Terrell Tailfeathers. A big thank you to Colin Van Loon, filmmaker, Skip Wolfleg, Blackfoot drummer, and Corthon Bearchief of Six Akakawin punk rock band No More Moments. Exugapi. <laughs>